This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the coronavirus is overshadowing the closing days of the 2020 legislative session. The governor meets with reporters to share the latest stats and talk about the state's efforts to contain the virus. The House Speaker says they need to prepare a state budget with a COVID-19 recession in mind. And five House members are in self-quarantine after learning that one of the people at a conference they all attended has tested positive. Strap in, gang. This story is going to be with us for some time. Two lawmakers from Tampa are calling for a complete overhaul of the medical care provided in state prisons, and they're wondering what happens when coronavirus turns up behind bars. The Florida Senate votes to create a task force to track down abandoned African-American cemeteries that have been covered by developers. Florida Democrats are targeting Donald Trump with a new pack called Organizing Together 2020. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is chairing the group. On the Sunrise interview, we talk with Politico Florida reporter Eric Sarkissian, who has written the inside story on the demise of the Airbnb bill. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest on Florida Man, who can now get a free surgical mask from a strip club in Tampa. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, March 10th. Governor Ron DeSantis meets the press to share the latest stats on the coronavirus. Thus far in Florida, uh, there's been 18 uh, positive uh, cases, 17 of those have been Florida residents, five of those had been diagnosed and isolated in another state, so by the time they come back here, uh, they're going to be free and clear um, of the virus, Um, and we have had two fatalities of folks who were elderly and then had serious underlying health conditions. Um, We do currently have 115 tests uh, that are pending uh, results. Um, We've had 140 tests come back negative, 802 people have been fully monitored, and 302 are currently being monitored. DeSantis says coronavirus can be deadly for seniors, especially those in poor health, so he's asking older Floridians to essentially stay put. The overall messaging um, uh, in terms of what we're seeing is that this is a virus for the vast, vast majority of individuals Um, you know, will not lead to serious uh, health complications. However, it's pretty clear that as people get older, and particularly those people that have a serious underlying medical condition, you know, those are the people who are the most at risk to have serious negative consequences from this virus, including um, uh, death. If you're elderly, you have a serious underlying medical condition, you know, don't get on a cruise ship right now. Um, you don't take a long flight where you could be exposed um, you know, to the virus. Uh, take certain steps to do what they call social distancing. Um, you know, if you don't feel good, stay at home. Avoid large crowds. Uh, and again, that's because that population is the most at risk of having serious consequences uh, from this virus. Mary Mayhew, who runs the Agency for Healthcare Administration, says they're working with healthcare facilities to make sure people are checked for symptoms before they enter the buildings. We have had laser beam focus on the care provided to our elderly in this state. It is important to stress that infection prevention and control is foundational to the work in hospitals, nursing homes, and assisted living facilities. We have been working with those providers throughout the state to reinforce those protocols, those best practices. We are particularly focused today on making sure that our hospitals, our nursing homes, our assisted living facilities are screening visitors, employees, and vendors. They are screening for illness. If anyone has traveled internationally, 
and certainly more recently if they have been on a cruise ship. The state education commissioner says they're also buying enough servers to make room for as many as 400,000 students to do their classwork through the Florida Virtual School. That's in case there are outbreaks that shut down any real schools. Week number nine of the legislative session starts with a bang, and not in a good way. As the House assembled for a morning session, Speaker Jose Oliva warned his colleagues they need to prepare for the possibility of a coronavirus recession. Some of you uh, may have noticed the stock market this morning. Uh, At one point, trading had to be halted uh, as the stock market plummeted. Trading has opened up again. We also have uh, other very important indicators. The 10-year yield is is at an all-time low, and and there's some word that the Fed is going to uh, probably remove another three-quarter points off of the interest. We may be facing a very real challenge here. The the coronavirus, while it's had a, a rather minute effect on us, the panic surrounding it is having a real effect. And so I've asked uh, President Galvano and I've spoken to Leader McGee for us to come together and make sure that before we put this budget in the books, we are doing everything that we can to ensure that if, should a recession come on, we are leaving future legislatures uh, with the power to be able to overcome it. House and Senate negotiators are still working out the details of their $92 billion budget, and a recession could pull the rug right out from under them. Florida depends on tourism to pay the bills, but people are canceling vacations because of the coronavirus, and that could put a hole in the budget before it's even printed. But wait, there's more. During the afternoon session, Speaker Oliva told lawmakers that five of their colleagues, Representatives Anthony Sabatini, Thad Altman, Keone McGee, Byron Donalds, and Cord Bird, had attended a convention in Washington 10 days ago where one of the participants has tested positive for coronavirus. The members that attended that event were not at any of the functions or uh, any of the conferences uh, or speaking engagements where that particular individual was. They did not stay at the same hotel as that person did, and of course they never came in direct contact. They're not showing any symptoms whatsoever. But just to take every precaution necessary, and as a courtesy to all of their fellow members, they have decided voluntarily to submit themselves to a test. And so they've currently been isolated, and they are submitting themselves to a test. We should get the results back of that test, hopefully within 24 hours. Until that time, they will uh, self-quarantine afterwards. Okay, members, we were going to take a short recess just to follow protocol and make sure that any and all surfaces uh, are wiped down. Just know that we are following uh, all CDC protocols and ensuring that uh, we set by example on this matter. So thank you very much. We will be back in 15 minutes. In 42 years of covering the legislature, this is the first time I remember anything like this happening. It's a bit like the old curse. May you live in interesting times. There are almost 100,000 people locked up in Florida prisons, and the Department of Corrections is responsible for their well-being. But the prison health care system was privatized eight years ago, and State Representative Diane Hart of Tampa says people are dying because of it. There's hundreds of people every year that are dying in our facilities all throughout the entire state of Florida. You see all these natural cause deaths. A lot of it is negligence in our medical and we, can't, we cannot keep operating this way. How many people have to die or be injured before we realize that we have to do something different? For years, we've done the same thing, hoping for a different result. If we don't change the way we treat those housed in our correctional facilities, we will continue to see violence, we will continue to see death, we will continue to see systematic problems. After reviewing the annual reports of the CMA, it is evident 
There are serious deficiencies in Centurion's ability to provide adequate medical service. Representative Susan Valdez of Tampa says the bottom line is that privatizing the prison health system has not saved any money and inmates are dying because of medical neglect. Florida's rate of inmate mortality spurred the Senate last year to ask for an audit of our prison health care system. What that audit found was that the push for privatization over the last decade under the auspices of cost savings resulted in worse care for inmates and a raw deal for Florida's taxpayers. The initial short-term cost savings of privatization were realized through decreased staffing and limiting instances of outside care for inmates. Ultimately, it's so important to remember that incarcerated individuals are still human beings and they must be treated with dignity and basic human rights. And more importantly, there are human beings who depend on all of us collectively for their safety and well-being. They are a ward of the state, and we are responsible for them. And if that's not scary enough, Representative Hart says just imagine what's going to happen when the very first case of coronavirus is discovered inside a Florida prison. I am petrified that the moment one person is diagnosed, that we're going to be in a serious, serious crisis. Up at Santa Rosa, we have 2,600 inmates. Can you imagine what would happen if that virus breaks out anywhere, in any of our facilities? There's 95,000 people, and we're in a constant movement. We're moving people from one facility to another every single day. We're moving people to Butler, back down to Miami, up to Butler, over to RMC. It, it, you know, it's a continuous motion. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very nervous about it because that's scary. It's too late in the legislative process to actually do anything about the quality of prison medical care, but Hart and Valdez are hoping they can convince the Corrections Secretary to take a fresh look at what's happening to the inmates in his system. The Florida Senate approves a bill creating a statewide task force that will identify and memorialize African-American cemeteries that have been lost to time in the Sunshine State. Senator Janet Cruz filed the bill last summer after the Tampa Bay Times revealed that the first African-American cemetery in Tampa, along with hundreds of graves, had been obliterated by years of development and forgotten by all but a handful of people. As a fourth-generation Tampa native, I care deeply about my city and the history of our, my city. That also moves me to recognize the parts of our history that include hate, divisiveness, and tragedy. A good community does not run from its history. Our state should not run from our history either. It's my hope that for Floridians who are not provided dignity, respect, and equal protection in their life, nor in their death, will be honored and memorialized appropriately as we seek to fully understand this tragic piece of Florida's history. Senator Daryl Rousson of St. Petersburg says the task force will restore honor and dignity to those who came before us, including those that some would rather forget. Voltaire once said, to the living we owe respect, to the dead we owe truth and dignity. Not far from here in Tampa are the graves of African Americans who were lost to time and indifference. Across the state of Florida, such cemeteries called lost are being found. What we have learned as a society is that we cannot continue to run away from our collective history and we can no longer allow others to rewrite that history or at its worst 
force the history off the pages of time. There were those that thought by building buildings or removing headstones, they could obliterate the memory and dignity of a people and families that were buried there. This should never happen again, for we are bound to them, though we cannot look into their eyes. We cannot talk to them, but we can tell their stories. This task force will begin to do just that. We can cherish their lives. We can bring honor to, to their burial sites. And this Senate bill does just that. Many of those abandoned African-American cemeteries have been rediscovered across the state, including sites in Tampa, Jacksonville, and Eastport. Florida Democrats are getting organized for the battle against Donald Trump. They've created a new group called Organized Together 2020, chaired by Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who is the only Democrat holding a statewide office in Florida. Florida is the largest swing state in the country. Democrats have won here before. President Obama carried Florida twice, both in 2008 and 2012. I just won here a little a year over a year and a half ago, and we're going to win in 2020. How? By laying the groundwork now. I'm excited to serve as chair of Organizing Together 2020 because I have seen the need for this organization. As Florida's only statewide elected Democrat, I spent a lot of time traveling across our state, meeting and talking with all kinds of people, young, old, black, white, Latino, rural, and urban. You name it, we have it here in Florida. What I have seen in every corner of this state is that Democrats are fired up. They are ready for a change. They are ready to organize. They are ready to work hard and do whatever it takes to win this election and take back the White House. And Organizing Together 2020 is going to give us the opportunity to start today. We don't have time to wait until the Democratic National Convention this summer to build a winning operation. In politics, and particularly here in Florida politics, there are always unknowns, and this election cycle will be no different. There will be variables. There will be surprises. There will be challenges. There will be uncertainty. But this much is for sure. Whoever we collectively choose as our Democratic nominee will be astronomically more qualified to serve as President of the United States than Donald James Trump, and they will need our help to win. We have serious, forward-thinking ideas to confront the issues facing our country. And thanks to Organizing Together 2020, we now have a machine to communicate those ideas, to promote our vision and our positive message. We will engage with voters across Florida about our plans to build on the successes of the Affordable Care Act and to ensure that everyone in this country has access to quality, affordable health care. Our plans to grow good-paying jobs through our economy that works for everyone, not just the wealthy. Our plans to protect the environment, expand renewable energy, and to ensure access to clean water for generations to come. Our plans to give every child in the United States regardless of where they're born, the opportunity to pursue a world-class education without going broke in the process. I don't have to tell you how disastrous the last three years under this administration has been. The utter cruelty of ripping apart families at the border and putting children in cages. The naked racism of travel bans and claiming they are very fine people on both sides of violent clashes incited by white supremacists. The cutting of nutrition assistance benefits from 3 million American families driving the most in need further into chronic hunger 
including our children. The attempt to politicize our Justice Department, which I find particularly offensive as a former public defender. There's never been a more important election in our entire lifetime. Now, more than ever, we need to remain focused on what does make us different, on our own values as Democrats, which stand in such sharp contrast to those held by Donald Trump. We must come together and hit the ground running. That's why I'm chairing this organization, and it's why I'll do everything in my power to ensure that we are successful in November. State Senator Oscar Brainin of Miami Gardens will also serve as co-chairman of Organize Together 2020. Look, this is such an important year. Every year is important. But as we move into this year, as we move into the, uh, a, new, a new decade, we really have to get together and fight for what working people here in the state of Florida really want. What's so important right now is that we are united and that many people that have the same desires, the same wants across the state are, um, are, are just fed up, fed up with a lot of things that have been happening, fed up with some of the leadership, not just here, but also on the national level, and are ready to see some changes. And that's why I'm happy to put all of my efforts and all my time into making sure that we come together to make this happen. Officials at Organize Together say they will not be supporting anyone in the Florida primary, but they will support whoever becomes the Democratic nominee for president. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with Eric Sarkissian with Political Florida about the demise of the Airbnb bill, which would have stripped local governments of their authority to regulate temporary vacation rentals. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. It takes a special calling to be a nurse, but misguided laws are preventing qualified nurses from providing care. We can change that. Ask your legislator to expand scope of practice for nurses. Empower nurses to do the jobs they were trained to do. Paid for by Americans for Prosperity. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Eric Sarkissian with Politico. They have a very strong news operation here in Tallahassee covering Florida, and uh, Eric's been around for a long time. And we're here to talk about Airbnb and what happened to them. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you very much, Rick. First of all, let's set the stage. Sure. This is Airbnb versus the traditional hotels and motels. What's What was going on? How did this whole fight begin? This actually began in, in 2016. The state of Arizona passed a law that pretty much stripped um, any sort of regulation on uh, on vacation rentals. This is Airbnb and like like twenty to thirty other companies that are out there. The uh, the American Liberties and Exchange Council, also known as ALEC, um, had helped the state push you know uh, uh, create that law. They liked what they did, and now they're trying to apply it to other area, uh, to other areas of the country. Florida would be a wonderful, wonderful score for them because, you know, we're number two in tourism for visitors behind California. So enter the, enter the you know, folks like Airbnb trying to push this bill. And then the hotels, um, which they've been saying this for years, they'll say they want, a level, they want a level playing field. But in 2016, the hotel, the American Hotel and Lodging Association had also started their own campaign to start combating uh, the vacation rentals of the world and basically trying to make life as hard as possible for them. They'll say they want to level the playing field, but when it comes to Florida, they want to keep uh, these vacation rentals at the local level, which makes it in, uh, infinitely harder. Um, it, the locals are, are uh, they're tightly regulated, and it's a, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a mishmash of different uh, ordinances that, that, that the companies have to follow from each you know, county and city. 
Um, the hotels know this well because until the 80s, that's how the hotels operated. But the the give is that, you know, obviously Airbnb wants to be – or the vacation rentals want to be regulated by DPBBR. But the problem with DPBR is that they're so woefully understaffed. Um, I think their caseload for the average inspector is like four times the national average. They do hotels, they do lodging, and they do restaurants too. So when you're, you know, again, when you're bringing in, you know, I think like three, $3.3 billion in, in tax revenue from tourism, that, that's a little scary if you ask me. Yeah, there's a big investment there on the state's behalf. That's yep. Like they have a financial stake in the whole thing. So we start off with a bill that says preempt local authority. The cities and counties no longer can regulate Airbnb or Expedia or the other vacation rentals that way, and it's all up to the state. What happened? How did that fall apart? And, and I think it, you, in your story, you say it started with the governor's comment. It, 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 I think at the at the beginning, so in previous, there's been previous iterations of this bill. The one thing that was different um, is that they didn't, this year, they had the hotels on board. They had the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association had actually uh, had actually promised to to go ahead and, and support the measure because there were some local tax taxing uh, there's some provisions for local taxes that made the vacation rentals a little bit on the same playing field as uh, as as, uh, as the hotels. The I think the one thing that that I, that got a lot of people scared from what it was uh, was when DeSantis actually when Governor Ron DeSantis came out against the bill. Uh, or not really coming out against it, just having grave concerns. Um, About he, whether the state could actually handle the job. Yeah, it, it, well, it's, and whether he's – so one of the big things that he brought in is uh, he doesn't want to meddle with local control. And this was one of the times he's saying, I don't know if the state should be getting involved in this. Uh, it was it was a principle that I think he adopted last year as he was uh, as he was you know going through for some of his vetoes. Uh, and I think I think he was continuing that. Um, there's also some talk that I, I think that there was there were some people that were actually talking to him as well behind the scenes that were saying this bill might not be the best idea. Um, I also heard from the behind the scenes, which which we also reported on that deficiency of inspectors. Um, you know, I think people were talking to him about that too. I mean, these these inspectors are are overworked, and you're talking about adding 235,000 more. You're more than you're more than doubling their caseloads essentially. Okay, so the bill comes down, and the governor is expressing some doubts, and then this poll comes out. Right. And the, the poll, tell, tell us about that. Sure. So the, actually, the, so the poll, the, that story actually came out, uh, the, which was in the Hollywood Gazette. It's an online uh, news uh, outlet down in, in Broward. They came out with the poll on February 20th. The poll was uh, allegedly by Morning Consult. We'll get to that one in a second. Um, was by Morning, and that uh, 60% of people uh, said that they would actually be afraid of a specifically mentioning an Airbnb rental next to their home because there's a story about, you know, party pads and stuff. I lived in Savannah for four years, so I know it all too well with vacation rentals, you know, having to deal with bachelorette parties are just a nightmare sometimes. Um, so th so that comes out. Morning Consult actually sends the less cease and desist letter to uh, to Airbnb Watch. Um, Airbnb Watch is... is associated with the hotel, with the American Hotel and Lodging Association, they send this cease and desist letter saying this poll is absolute, is absolutely fabricated, um, which, which, and in response, the, uh, the, the gentleman who runs Airbnb Watch, again, you know, associated with the hotels, says, uh, it was actually, it wasn't just a cease and desist letter, I was just a couple minor corrections that we had to make. <laughs> yes. uh, Morning Consult didn't get back to me, but there's a, there's an old line of, as a, as a reporter, I've never had a cease and desist letter sent to me. I'm knocking on table right now. Uh, but that's not a good sign. There's a difference between someone saying, Eric, I got a correction, and cease and desist, take your article down now or else. So, so serious stuff. Um and then there's also the position of Carol Dover. She's with the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association, and she endorses the bill. And yet 
her national association is against the bill. So what role did Carol play in this whole thing? Carol has so there there were we do have one uh, ex- one uh, one vacation rental industry executive who uh, would not uh, allow us to use this person's name that told us uh, you know this was that that Carol Dover, who's the head of the Florida Restaurant Lodging Association, had pretty much turned their back on them. Um, Carol uh, adamantly uh, denies that. Uh, she said she was very upset that that happened and that she was an adamant supporter of the Senate bill. Um, the one thing I look I look for to read between the lines is that she told me that like three or four days after the Senate bill had died, um, there is the House bill that I think they've temporarily postponed. So uh, when I when I asked her if she approved the you know or supported the House bill, she said, "Well, I, I guess I would because they're kind of the same thing, I believe." But she was adamant about supporting supporting the Senate bill. So uh, Carol Dover says that she was behind the, you know she was supporting this all all the time, and that the American Hotel and Lodging Association. Um, they have their own agenda, and they can they can they can do what they want. Um, but there there is a connection there, and there's some there are some people that you know there there are there is some intermingling between the state association and the and the and the federal you know the the, the national, national association. association too. So there is some head scratching there. But again, just to stress, uh, uh, Carol Dover did deny that you know she had turned their back on them. But the vacation rental folks, um, and actually even one hotel industry lobbyist, to be honest with you, had actually uh, had actually said otherwise. Okay. So, status as of now, the bills are dead, pretty much. Well, as you know, being a veteran of this process, nothing is <laughs> nothing is dead until the hanky drops. So, we're still watching out for it, but it doesn't look like there's there's uh, much juice on the floor of the House to get this through, and I don't think there's much interest in the Senate as well. As of last week, Senate President Bill Galvano had actually said. Uh, if it didn't pass that committee, unless those, unless the other, if it didn't pass the rules committee last on last Monday, that it's probably not going to be able to be brought up unless those committee members somehow go ahead and 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 try to. It was basically it's it, the Senate side. It's 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 dead. It's dead in the water. Um, but the House side, I think they're I think they're still trying, and I I think there's actually there was actually a fiscal tied to it. There was a bump issue um, that they've sought settled to get more uh, inspectors for DPBR. For a while, that was part of the House bill to try and uh, make it easier to swallow. Saying, "Look, we know DPBR is woefully understaffed. Here are some, uh, you know, here are some more inspectors to make the job. Not nearly enough, again, compared to other states. But it was, it would, it help it. They ended up stripping that out. But, but that line item was still in the budget. That's been settled. So that's there. So I think the House again. I think they're trying, like ever, to try and get this bill going. But there might be talk of it getting attached to another DPB bar, DPBR bill as an amendment. But um, I, I just don't think there's an interest this late in the game. Why is Florida so important in this fight? Well, number number two for tourism, I believe last year was a, another another record. I hate saying record because it's like saying we had a record budget. It goes up every year. 130 million visitors last year. Um, what's also, you know, it, it, Florida, I mean, Florida's lifeblood is is their tourism. And if this if this happens, um, there, I think the quote I had from the the uh, one of the background sources was, uh, you know, if if Florida if Florida sneezes, the rest of the country gets the flu. Not the best time to be using those analogies, yeah, right? Coronavirus, coronavirus kinda... but with that said, but it, it's I, we thought about that before we used it. We it was <laughs> we we were deliberate because it really tells us it really shows that you know this industry has is is looked upon by all the other states, including Arizona. 
um, because we rely on tourism so much. You know, California, their their economy is a bit more diverse. Florida, as much as they try, I mean, where tourism is our is our breadbasket. So people people look at us, and if that were to happen, then um, Al, you know, then then Alec would have reason to start pushing this in other states because other states would feel more comfortable about it. It's like once you get one once you get one you know member to vote on something, you know, his, you know his or her buddies are more willing to vote on it. Yeah, that's the danger of being a bellwether state. Everyone wants you to be their bellwether. Exactly. So. Next year, refight? I think it will be back next year. There is a lot of money in this fight. Um, it would make life a lot of easier, a lot easier for the vacation rentals. Um, the question is what they're going to do. The, this this year with the bill, with requiring the you know requiring vacation rentals to charge the local taxes. I mean that was that would have been kind of good for the locals, not good enough to you know to rile up their you know the, the folks who don't want the vacation rentals. Um, but I guess at that point, I don't I don't know what else they would do because, I mean, at the, at that point, it's just a matter of whether or not, am I, you know, just from what I see, it's my opinion of whether DPBR can handle handle the workload, and especially to, not to bring back coronavirus, but you know, with the you know threats about you know people getting sick and you know uh, airborne airborne illnesses and you know people over sixty dying again, another big concern to us being Florida because we have tons of old people. Um, you know that that's got to be another issue there. Is that is this going to be? Is this going to be good for business? You know, in the advent of, you know, the coronavirus, if we ever, or if we ever get back, you know, if there's ever the new dawn after coronavirus. Understood. Our guest today on Sunrise has been Eric Sarkisian with Florida Politico. Politico, Florida. Politico, Florida. My apologies. I'm just glad I get paid. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Your calendar of events begins at 9:30. That's when the Board of Trustees at the University of South Florida meets in Tampa. At 10, the St. John's River Water Management District Governing Board meets in Palatka. The Florida Senate holds a floor session beginning at 10. The Florida House meets at 10.30. The U.S. Department of Agriculture will release an updated forecast for the citrus season at noon. And state political committees and candidates face a deadline today to file their reports, showing campaign finance activity through the end of February. And it's time once again to check in with Florida Man, who sometimes wears a mask for all the wrong reasons. A strip club in Tampa is trying to fight the spread of coronavirus by offering free surgical masks to its customers. Now, health experts will tell you they really don't work, and they've advised against it. But the Florida men who run Deja Vu Showgirls of Tampa say they'll be giving away 10,000 masks in March. No word on whether the strippers will be using them, too. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 